0: Hello, this is Bill Summers. Hi, this is Mike Clark.
1: Hi, this is Ingrid Lucia. Yeah, you're right. This is Dr. John. I'm Mulgrew Miller. This is Idris Mohammed. This is Bobby Rush. Hi, this is Harry Shearer. You're joining me and so many other discerning listeners. You are listening to the WWOZ Interview Podcast. All right, celebrating 100 years of Sunra. Sunra was born uh, in Alabama. According to Earth a uh, 100 years ago this week, Thursday's the actual day, but we're celebrating today on this edition of Jazz from the French Market. at 17 minutes past the hour of 4 o'clock. you got it tuned to tune to WWOZ 90.7 FM in New Orleans. I'm visiting with Carl LeBlanc. How are you, Carl? Oh, I'm doing good. Good. I guess we should all say happy
0: birthday to each other these days because it's all, it's Ra's day, Ra's time. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, my arrival date is also uh, on the 26th of this month, and Sun didn't let us talk about birth because... Uh, to quote him, in the Bible they said, death is the last enemy to be conquered. And since there was no record of his birth, no birth certificate, he said he wasn't born, so he couldn't die. Very good. Wow. You got celebrated arrivals, if, if anything. <laughs> and huh? departure dates. And departure. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right.
1: I was thinking, Carl, now you you were with Ra for a while. How long were you part of that organization? Uh,
0: for about eight years, a little over.
1: Wow. When did you first get connected with him?
0: Well, uh... A teacher of mine, Mr. Kid Jordan, he played with Sunra in nineteen fifty five, which is the year I was born. So uh he got me with Sun Ra. I first played with him at a, a jazz fest probably around seventy eight. Okay. That was uh, the first time I met him. And uh it was immediate, you know, fascination as soon as I got with him. Like kid had got me ready. I was prepped mm-hmm. for the task. But uh Back then, they just had tents, you know, for the Jazz Fest. And we were sitting in the tent waiting. And so he started talking to me about uh, space and about religion and about politics and about all kinds of physics and science. And then so it was almost time to go on stage. I said, well, you still didn't tell me if you want me to play with you or not. He said, well, if you sat here and listened to all of that... He'll put this on, and he gave me a pair of wings to put on, and oh, was my first job.
1: Wow. Gave you a pair of wings. Yeah. Magnificent. <laughs> Amazing. And did you stay with him? Was that just sort of the first time you uh, played with him, or was that the beginning of a long-term well, job?
0: The first time I played with him, I didn't uh, go up and live in Philly until the, uh, 1980. Okay, That's when uh, Kamau Wesley Phillips and I drove up there and uh, set up residence right around the corner on On Germantown Mm -hmm. and he he was on Martin Street. So, uh, yeah, I I got stories for you if you want stories. I
1: (laughs) do. Yeah. So you were living uh, right around the corner from the house that, that he was in, right? Yeah. Okay. And did you guys, uh, the legend is that you all practiced basically almost every waking hour.
0: Endlessly. Uh, when I first got there, well, I had automobile trouble getting there. My van broke down, and, you know, it took me a long and inordinate amount of time to drive from here to Philly. When I finally got there, no one knew where Martin Street was. I was like, come on, somebody I know. There was no GPS then, you know. sure right. And uh, so finally there was this blind dude sitting on the corner playing a saxophone, and I went to asked him uh, if he knew where Sunrise House was. He gave me exact directions ah. and when I got there. Sonny loved it. He was like, "Y'all hear that? The blind man led him to me. That's exactly how it's supposed to be. Wow. <laughs> the blind led him to me. Magnificent! Wow! And he <laughs> went straight to work. I'm sure. Well, huh? So I asked him what time is rehearsal, and he said, uh, "Sunrise." Wow. And so me, being a new kid on the block, I didn't know sunrise. I'm there knocking on the door, and you know, and and he's sitting there with his little Casio piano, writing down here, play this, and play it. one by one. The guys wake up, and the band gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, like if somebody had to go to the bathroom, a trombone player left to go get something to eat or go to the bathroom, Sonny would say, wait, that doesn't sound right. And he'd take everybody's music and rearrange it. So when he this guy got back, his part is no longer, <laughs> 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 it's obsolete now. And um, then, you know, we rehearsed our day. He cooked a big pot of food. By the end of the day. And then here comes Fred from West Philly just getting there, okay? So then all arrangements have to be done all over again because there's another trumpet player now. Wow. But what that meant was we had like about eight or nine arrangements for each song, okay? The arrangement when only two saxophone players were there. The arrangement when, you know, sure. and uh, so when he's on the gig, he starts playing introduction. Everybody's going through the suitcase, pulling out music. Everybody's trying to get the most recent version, but of course they got guys who just met us at the dressing room in Chicago or in New York who hadn't played with Sonny in 10 years um, right. they got their arrangement for the song wow. and that's why the music sounded like it was layers and layers of different things happening
1: how um, fascinating well that that's uh, I wondered you know because the layering aesthetic is exactly what, what the experience of listening to that stuff is and I didn't realize that that's part of where that came from
0: well I'm not sure but I, I witnessed that part
1: sure of that. right on folks I'm visiting with Carl LeBlanc an 8 year veteran of the Ra Orchestra we'll be back to talk with Carl some more about uh, some of his Experiences with Raz. We celebrate his 100th birthday, his 100th anniversary of his arrival in this dimension. Anyway, and uh, but let's have some music. We're going to be mixing a lot of music in and out of our conversation with Mr. LeBlanc as we uh, fathom the legacy of the immortal Sun Ra. I'm here with Carl LeBlanc. We are celebrating the arrival on planet Earth 100 years ago this week of Sun Ra, and Carl was with Sun Ra for about eight years and spent uh, some extraordinary time uh, working with that organization, the Sun Ra Orchestra. Carl, you were mentioning when we were listening to Sun, Earth, Rock and listening to that synthesizer sound, you'd mentioned that um, new, when new synthesizers would come out, the companies would send them to Ross so he could kind of test drive them and and so on. That's, exactly.
0: Uh, That's uh, Who else would they get to, to test the sun, to see all the different capabilities of the instrument? So many times he'd be on the gig with four or five keyboards around him. I remember one time he had three behind him on the rack, and he's playing... The one behind his head with his fingernails. Uh, the, the people can't see me right now, but yeah. I'm do, I'm doing it, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> he's playing them with his fingernails, and it sounded great. Though. Wow, I mean, he's playing all the right notes. <laughs> ah,
1: amazing. I guess so. We were talking too about the practice regimen over there and how intense it was, and how when people would come and go and the arrangements would change. Was there ever a kind of um, uh, routine at all, like a structure that you guys followed? I mean, it started more or less sunrise, but how else would you describe a typical day in the house there in the Germantown neighborhood of Philly? Was there such a thing as a typical day?
0: Mm, the, it was always some music happening, practicing, okay? Like he would he would be composing from the time he woke up, you know, and then recording. And uh, as the guys wake up, they would all join in and he'd tell somebody to take a solo. And then before the day was over, maybe some parts of that solo would become part of the arrangement, you know, like the, the trombone background or something. He would just take it and... The, the, The piece would keep growing, mushroom effect. John Gilmore, the most prolific saxophonist I've ever met in my life, saxophonist, he would practice. If John was in the house alone and he was practicing, he had the the second floor right over the door. You could hear him practicing. If it was raining, snowing, it didn't matter. If John was practicing, he wasn't going to stop and answer the door. So you Mm -hmm. can just go go take a walk somewhere else for about three hours and come back, you know, because John wasn't going to stop. He was like relentless. A
1: tremendous saxophone player. Just one of the greats.
0: John Coltrane wrote that uh, John Gilmore was his greatest influence. Wow. Amazing. Sun Ra had a uh, different mm, series that he would write. When I got there, he was writing disciplines. You probably see some of the music discipline, 99 discipline, you know, uh, but before that in the fifties, he was writing something called the solar precepts. Mm hmm. And uh, he never wanted you to show his music to anybody. In fact, he would even tell a trombone player, you know, well, this is your music. This is just for you. He'd mm. tell Michael Ray, this is for you. Don't let the other trumpet players see it. You know, mm. sort of a uh, mystical thing. But anyway, John Gilmore went and rehearsed with Train on uh, the Solar Precepts. It was right after that that Train started playing what they call the Sheets of Sound, right. Uh-huh. And in his autobiography, he said that Gilmore was his greatest influence. Wow,
1: that's extraordinary. It's incredible to think of the reach of Ra and the the lives of so many artists that he shaped. You know, I think Pharoah Sanders got his nickname Pharaoh from Ra, in fact. And uh, uh, it's just extraordinary, the, the range of his influence. I wonder, Carl, if you could, would it be possible to sort of describe how you changed as a player during your time with Sun Ra? The way you were thinking about your work when you joined him and how you were a different kind of player afterwards and what rob may have had to do with that
0: well uh i got in, initiated into this with uh kid jordan like i mm-hmm. said and, and i went to school at southern so playing with kid that paved the way and then when i got with Sun Ra, i saw how to apply it because uh kid jordan he was his album is no compromise you know yeah. I, I was on a job with kid one time and he spent the whole first 20 minutes of the job telling the people why they weren't going to like it. <laughs> see all these people sitting here? They, they're going to be gone once we start. All these people here, all these chairs are going to be empty. This music not for everybody, you know. Right. Yeah, you know, and, But uh Sunra knew how to incorporate spectacle mm. so that the music didn't sound so mm. strange when you see a sword swallow and a fire eater and a juggler and midgets and dancers and everything going on all around, mm. you know, like this this all part of the whole same scene. You know, the music oh. is not that outrageous. <laughs> Got it.
1: Fits right in if you make the right kind of stage show. huh? Right. Very interesting. Wow. Folks, we we're celebrating the centennial of Sun Ra's arrival on planet Earth. It's 100 years ago Thursday. We're celebrating it today. There's a huge gig tonight at the Blue Nile. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. We're going to be playing a whole lot of Sun Ra's music. And we're uh, happy to have Carl uh, LeBlanc visiting with us right now, sharing some memories and of his time with Ra. You know, I wanted to ask about the um, the the solar precepts that he was writing and then which became as you said the other thing he started to do was create these things he called disciplines were these like sort of like exercises or were they like sequences of of what was what was a solar precept can you think of an example or is it are you sworn to secrecy or how's that work you
0: you asked were they like exercises or were they pieces of music i was going to say yes to all of that okay Okay. (laughs) uh the everything you play with Sunrise was an exercise. Got it. <laughs> Let's start off like that. All right. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, as he's writing songs each day, instead of coming up with a different name for a melody, uh, you know, this is the stuff that we're working on now. So uh, the concepts were like, for instance, he said uh, in America, they teach you that everybody's free, but they don't teach you about discipline. He said, I bet you every child in school could spell free, but how many ever could spell discipline? And if everybody was free with no discipline, that would just be chaos. So discipline should come first. Mm. right? So like it, it was a way of thinking and a way of living behind the music. It wasn't just how we played. It was like we had to understand why the music was this way. Got it.
1: That's really interesting. And you guys, one thing you were saying a moment ago, off Mike, was like, sometimes you would also work on things that were not rock compositions. There was Monk and other things, and mm-hmm. all of that was in the mix, huh?
0: Yes. As a matter of fact, he did an album with John Cage, the, uh, right. the 20th century composer.
1: Right. Ah, that's so interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Here's I've got him right here in front of me the, uh, from live at Montreux, 1976. Here he is doing Take the A Train, and I believe this is a solo piano thing. Listen to Ra... As a piano player on this Ellington thing, uh, Ellington Strayhorn thing, take the A train at ninety point seven FM, New Orleans. Happy arrival day to Sun Ra. What a uh, what a treasure! And how happy we are to have Carl LeBlanc visiting with us and giving us some uh, some stories uh, as an insider to the Sun Ra Orchestra and the the, uh, the house in Philly and the the lifestyle there with uh, with Ra's with Ra's organization. Carl, um, you were talking. We were off mic just talking about an important chapter in the Ra story: is his years in New York City. And those, I um, think it was Monday night gigs, a standing Monday night gig at Slugs uh, down on the Lower East Side, and kind of legendary, I guess.
0: Yeah, they always talk about that. That was uh, memories for everybody in the house, you know, how they would play sometimes eight hour jobs, you know, nonstop. Wow. You know? wow. And uh, a lot of people don't realize how important Sunrise is to the whole continuum of black music, because, you know, he was the copyist for Fletcher Henderson, you know, the first big jazz band you know mm-hmm. it was uh, it was fletcher henderson's arrangements that made benny goodman the king of swing see fletcher couldn't really support his band so he started selling his arrangements and then of course those arrangements propelled goodman to become the the, the king of swing right but, but uh sonny used to do the arrangements the copyist and then whenever fletcher got up to conduct the band that's when sunrise would play the piano okay so he's sc- fans music from that spot all the way to beyond what we're doing now, you know, and everything in between the people that played with him were like the Tarantino brothers, Tommy Turrentine, uh Stanley Clark, you know, all kind of people. Like you say, Pharaoh Sanders, anybody could come in the house. Like, uh, you asked me about one of my memories at the Chicago, uh, festival, Chicago jazz festival, I believe 1981. Uh, on Lake Michigan. Sun Ra had four drummers. He had uh, Lex Humphreys. He had uh, Luke Mann. He had uh, Craig Haynes, Roy Haynes' son, and also Samai, who lived here for a while. He changed his name to Samurai when he got there. As a samurai. Four drummers. And he had one playing in two, one playing in three, one playing in five, one playing in seven. So they didn't hit one together Tell whatever the, the least common multiple is of that, you know, like maybe every 96 measures, boom, wow. without hitting one together. You know? <laughs> wow. And, and wow. so uh, that was my first time playing like on television with him. So I called my mom and told her, uh, You're going to be on television. She called all her friends and told them. She said, When <laughs> when it came on and they showed Sunrise, she started calling her friends and telling them, That's a mistake. That's not my son in that van. <laughs> you know, she wasn't ready. But, right. You know, that was, that was kind of. Wow. It came with the life. Not everybody got it.
1: Sure, sure. But, you know, we've been saying too that slowly but surely, uh, you know, planet Earth is catching up to Sun Ra in a way. It's, uh, not everybody got it, you know, way back 1980, whenever, uh, certainly 1970, 1960. Um, uh, but, More and more and more, you know, as we noted all over the world, you know, where there's jazz lovers, there's people celebrating his centennial. There's a radio station in New York City that apparently is doing like an entire week of nothing but Sun Ra for an entire week. And they probably won't play
0: all of the music.
1: That's right. I'm sure. There's so much of it. Folks, visiting with Carl LeBlanc, and we are celebrating the centennial of the uh, arrival on planet Earth of Sun Ra and – sharing some memories and insights about how this music came to be as we uh, mark this centennial. You were mentioning off mic a minute ago uh, that th- in New York there was somebody they called them the Bell Boys, and what, were the, mm. what was their role? How would you describe that?
0: They would come uh, on the jobs they could make. They uh, had uniforms that they had for each other, really loud-colored, uh, loose-fitting uniforms, and they had bells i guess whatever kind of bell they could find like little church bells uh all kind of bells just the largest bells you could find you know not like big steeple bells you know but they were just surrounded on the stage with bells and that's all they would do was just ring those bells be ringing them up wow
1: <laughs> this was part of that slug scene on monday nights i guess
0: oh no this was during my time oh, okay. I, I met
1: them ah okay? so, wow yeah. wow i'm sure i you know all kinds of people moving in and out of the band and bringing bells the dancers whatever and you mentioned something kind of important too you said that you know there would be dancers and whatnot depending on you know what the money situation was and and who could be paid but then you also noted that after a certain point it really wasn't about the money and people weren't necessarily that worried about getting paid it was just they wanted to be with ra and be a part of this performance and this experience Mm -hmm. uh that speaks volumes to what what he was about
0: well he would uh financially take care of all the guys who were living in the house, you know, he would pay their alimony, get their teeth fixed, you know, whatever they needed to do. Their children, their parents, take care of them, you know, and so, some guys would come to him, "Mm, I need $20 a day to feed my dad, I need this, so I didn't do that. When I I found a house, I just told him I need $500 to, you know, get an apartment, and he just gave it to me. And the guys, I think they were kind of uh, upset about that because when i came in the band i started taking solos immediately mm. and uh they had guys who had been in the band for 10 years and hadn't had a solo yet you know there's some guys who've been rehearsing with the band for 10 years and haven't even come on stage yet
1: oh, <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah. like that
0: many people around right and so uh but you mentioned the money i remember there was an opening for a black radio station in uh kansas uh I believe it was Kansas, and Sun Ra sent for me. And uh, he paid all the guys out of his pocket, all right, all our transportation and paid us to come there. And when he was there, he told us some of those secrets, this things about how to play. He said, see, people think that they have us when when uh, when they record us. They always have the taste plan. They think they have it. But there's another way that I want y'all to play. When we're around people that we want to give this to and he would tell a drummer like to play in circles, mm. you know, to hit two or three drums at one time to play in circles. He had us all trying to play in circles and different different techniques he would use is sort of like the, uh, I guess you could say going back to slavery time where you had one language that you would speak when the master was around. And then another way you would talk to each other when he wasn't around and sure. just we knew what we were talking about. I think sure. that's how he was trying to deal with the music sometimes.
1: Wow. It's really, really interesting. How many people were around the house in Philly when you got there in 1980? Like, what how what was the size of this community? We're talking about 10 people, 15?
0: Mm, they maybe had about uh, eight people living in the house, eight, ten people living in the house. But they had people coming to right. rehearsal from as far as New York and, you wow. know, all the time. So right. And, wow! Uh, yeah,
1: what a what a scene that had to have been, <laughs> amazing.
0: A lot of guys from Philly were in the band.
1: Okay, wow, folks were celebrating the centennial of Sun Ra. Here's the title track from 1963's masterpiece, "Angels and Demons at Play." We'll go from there to "Otherness Blue," "Walking on the Moon," a tune called "Moon Dance," "Dance of the Living Image," a tune called "Somewhere Else." L is the Sound of Joy, A Call for All Demons, Interstellar Low Yeah, well, cool. That's what Carl was thinking about. Call for All Demons. Is I that a favorite? So. Yeah, so. cool. We're going to do a bunch of them. Lullaby for Realville. All these good things between now and 7 o'clock as we celebrate the centennial of the immortal Sun Ra. Been visiting with the great Carl LeBlanc. It's been so, so generous of him and so kind of him to stop by and hang out with me and, uh, share some of his, uh, experiences with Ra and some of his insights. And, um, Carl, we were talking, um, uh, we were talking about the role of, you know, Sun Ra was so deeply versed in philosophy and religion and the Bible and Egyptology and, and the esoteric arts and so on. And, and books and, and ideas were a huge part of the life, uh, in the orchestra, right?
0: Right. He studied, um, uh, constantly studied, you know, the Egyptian book of the dead and, you know, books like that. Uh, Netter knew, he gave me a book called the brotherhood of angels and men. And it was from the time when, uh, angels walked the earth and talked to, to men. And, uh, it was sort of a, uh, a, mm, a pathway, uh, or just, a i'm trying to look for the word but it was like uh exercises that you could do in order to elevate yourself from this form into a more angelic state of life because uh, one of the things sunra told me as i told you during the break was that we teach our children that you're human and uh, humans make mistakes and humans can't be perfect you know and so as a child that's what you are taught to believe but I'm pretty sure everybody out there in your listening audience can spell their name perfectly. And Sun Ra would say, if you could do one thing perfectly, why can't you do other things perfectly? And so if we would start teaching our children that you can be perfect, that you don't have to make mistakes, you can be perfect. He said that in about three generations, we would elevate ourselves to a point where maybe that other 90% of our brain that's dormant, we'd be using some of it.
1: Ah, oh, it's so amazing. And we would all be angels again walking the earth.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's a big leap for us all to reach angelhood.
1: Yeah. Magnificent. And this is the kind of stuff that you, Rob would share with you, uh, during those years at, at, living in the house in Philly and being on the band. Oh yeah. That's magnificent. Folks, Carla Blanc. I wish I could tell everyone to give a big round of applause to Carla Blanc for coming by and hanging out. Uh, so wherever you yeah. are, clap for Carla Blanc, yeah, who was no a, a student and a and a traveler with Rob for a long, long time. Yeah, and, can, can I make this uh, plug do. while I'm here? Please Friday do.
0: Friday night I'm going to be at Dos Efe's for 10 o'clock. Uh, me and Big Fine Ellen Smith are going to be over there at Dos Efe's. And then on the 11th we'll be at Three Muses. So um, if you're out and want a bite to eat, the cuisine is fine at Three Muses. Oh, I'm so sorry they stopped serving food at Dos Efe's. I used to love that stuff. Yeah. But we'll be there Friday at Dos Efe's and then uh, Wednesday, the 11th at Three Muses.
1: Fantastic. Carla Blanc, get out, folks, and check out Carla Blanc real soon. He's all over town all the time, man. So do, by all means, go check him out. And uh, meanwhile, we'll get back into the 100th uh, arrival date celebration of Roth. Thank you so much, Carla Blanc.
0: Thank you for having me, man. Right on. Thanks for listening to our
1: WWOZ podcast, bringing the voices of New Orleans to the world.